This evening, we are going to read the very familiar um, Christmas story of Jesus' birth narrative in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. But as I shared with you at the beginning of our worship service, that this is not going to just simply be a moment where we're going to read the story to you, but we are going to live and lean into the story with each other. And so after um, a portion of the readings, there's going to be an opportunity for you to also respond. And so we do invite you to hear these words from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, with new ears this evening. Might you hear how the world rejoices for the one we call our Messiah. It says in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now this was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Welcome Mary's child born away from home at the end of a journey. We praise you, we adore you. Welcome to an unoccupied territory where your birthplace is decreed by an empire's tax demand. We praise you. We adore you. Welcome newborn Christ wrapped in a mother's care, sleeping in a feeding trough. We praise you. We adore you. The story continues in the eighth verse of Luke's gospel, that in that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Welcome to a town with no one to greet you but shepherds called unclean. We praise you. We adore you. Welcome Mary's child, prophet, healer, teacher, friend, and sovereign leader yesterday, today, forever. We praise you. We adore you. pray with me. Gracious God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, might you touch our ears and the ears of our hearts, that as we hear the word read and also proclaimed, that we would hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. We ask all of this in the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sustains. Amen. So this is my 17th year as a pastor showing up on a Christmas Eve minus last year. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's, well, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to offer up words um, at a Christmas Eve service. And I have to let you know this, M many times my travel schedule at Christmas and Christmas Eve is very much dictated by when um, Christmas Eve and Christmas fall on, um, on the week. Whenever Christmas Eve or Christmas are either Thursday or later, I do not travel home. Why is that the case? It's because, because most of my ministry, except for the last three years, I had done no less than three Christmas Eve services on any given year. Which means that typically when I'm leaving church on a Christmas Eve, it's actually Christmas morning. It's about one o'clock in the morning, and I am telling Jesus to move over in the manger so that we can both take a nap with each other. The reason why I tell you this is because I am so used to being alone here in Raleigh by myself on Christmas and actually having myself a really good time. But in 2013, after the last Christmas Eve service, as I parked my car in my driveway at about 1.30 in the morning, and went to bed that early morning and then woke up the next day on Christmas. It was not one of those Christmases where I was filled to the brim with lots of joy. Because two years prior to that year, I had kind of gone through a season of some heavy sadness, lots of loss and mourning in my life. And it was something about that Christmas morning where it felt like the last two years had like caught up to me. That, that, the, that the weight of my tears seemed to drown out my rejoicing. 
And so um, as I was eating the third piece of brown sugar pound cake and watching another episode of Elf during the rerun, I decided to do what any pastor who is having a midlife kind of existential crisis would do. I decided that I was going to put on clothes and I was going to go to Rex Hospital and spend some time with one of my parishioners. And so I went to go see one of my favorite people on this earth who has now gone on to glory. His name is St. Alton McGraw, Jr. I'm going to put some respect on his name because he was such a special person. And Alton McGraw wasn't just a parishioner. I would say that he was one of my friends. Now, here's the interesting thing about my, our friendship. I was in my mid-30s back in that time, and Alton McGraw was about 80 years old. Oh, but he was my friend. When Alton McGraw passed away, I preach-cried his funeral. And I did not apologize for one of my tears. I did not apologize for one pause. I did not apologize for the times I had to put my hands on the pulpit and just catch my breath because he deserved every single one of them. He was my friend. So I went to Rex Hospital because it just happened that here it is that Lisa Yaboa couldn't go home for Christmas and I was just going to go spend some time with Alton McGraw because he couldn't be at home. He needed to be in the hospital for medical care. And we sat together and we talked. We talked about the time that he had met Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on a plane and gotten his autograph, of which he gave me a copy a story that he had told me about 345 times. We talked about how we love South Carolina peaches better than North Carolina peaches. Sorry, friends, but we do. We talked about when he was a student at Wofford after World War II and how Wofford had changed by the time I was a student in the 90s. He talked about how he couldn't wait to get out of the hospital so that he could kiss his high school sweetheart, his bride. And I told him every single juicy tidbit of all the drama that ensued on the five worship services that we had had on Christmas Eve. In a hospital room in Rex Hospital, an 80-year-old man whose heart was failing spoke words to me from a heart that was overflowing. And this mid-30-year-old woman who was a pastor who was supposed to create a Christmas moment for this 80-year-old man who had a heart that was broken, had a heart that was also open to receive whatever good words and laugh, to enjoy that my parishioner friend could offer me. I had been so used to, as a pastor, creating Christmas moments for others that I forgot that sometimes people could create Christmas moments for me. I had oftentimes thought so much about how I was going to be with my congregation that maybe I had forgotten that there is a way that people can be with me. You know, the gift of that particular Christmas is that I was in the presence of this person who, even though he was in a hospital room, was still clinging to hope. He could not wait for all that life was going to give him on the other side of Rex. 
And he wanted to know play-by-play -play footage of what had happened at the Christmas Eve service that evening that he could not attend. There is something really powerful about people who wait with us and who remind us of the goodness of clinging to hope when we don't feel like we can cling to hope. Which is why I think it is so beautiful for us to be here with one another this day. Because see, last year, I think what was so hard about Christmas Eve and the Christmas season is that so many of us could not be with the people who oftentimes help us to cling to the Christmas hope. We could not be with the people who oftentimes remind us that the best is still yet to come. We could not be with the people who come with a level of joy and laughter even in the midst of our sadness and sorrow. But this year, we don't get to be alone. This year, we get to actually be with other individuals who might help us bump into Christmas. And that's something that I realized for the very first time in reading this passage of scripture for about the 17th time. <laughs> is that no one is alone in the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it says that there is going to be this, this registration, there's a census that is going to happen throughout the world, and that Joseph goes to be with Mary, and Mary gets to be with Joseph. They're not alone. And then there are these shepherds, these shepherds who um, are keeping watch over their flock by night. They're not alone. It's not one shepherd, it's shepherds together who are doing this good work. And you know what's even uh, more like uh, supernatural and kind of blew my mind? Even the angel's not alone. It says that when the angel comes to the shepherds and tells the shepherds about this Jesus who is the Messiah, that with a heavenly host, a song begins to ring out through the heavens. No one is alone. Because maybe it is hard to cling on to um, that which seems so impossible about the Christmas story if we were by ourselves. That if Mary had been by herself, that maybe in her disbelief, she would begin to talk herself out of the words that the, that the, uh, that the angel, that the spirit came to her, saying that she was going to be the house of God. And so maybe Joseph had to remind her. Or, or that when Joseph began to have these moments of doubt because people are murmuring and saying certain things about him, that Mary says to Joseph, Joseph, no, you are going to get to be the caretaker, the surrogate father of the one who is called the Messiah of the world. And maybe if there had only been one shepherd and an angel had come to that one shepherd, that one shepherd would have said, how do I know? How can I trust what I have heard? And might have turned back midway in the journey. And that even this angel that is now accompanied by the heavenly host, that sometimes when your heart is overflowing with joy, you need someone else to carry the tune with you, that the angels even get a multitude. No one is alone in the story. No one is alone in the story. Because maybe it is impossible to cling to hope of what we believe of the Christmas story if we somehow have to believe it alone. So I might ask you this evening who it is that you 
help them to understand and to believe the Christmas story. Who do you show up for and you live out the Christmas story? Who do you let see a glimpse of your life that they might see how the Christmas story has shaped you, held you, supported you? And then who has done that for you? That when weeping was enduring for the night, that someone came and they sang a new song because they could cling to hope. Or that when your heart was bre breaking or broken, that someone came because their heart was overflowing. And if no one comes to mind, the beautiful plot twist of this Christmas story, <laughs> If we feel like we have no one who is ever with us. If this year has been a year filled with disappointments of people walking in the opposite direction. Is that the Christmas story comes with this promise. Of one whose name is with us. <laughs> This one whose name is Emmanuel, a God who is with us. Who comes to, to not only convince us of the Christmas story, but to show us the Christmas story. This one who comes into the world to disrupt our story so that we might believe a grander story. This one who comes to redeem parts of our story so that we might see our story more clearly. We get one who is with us. You know, when I was in that hospital room with uh, Alton McGraw, one of the things that he said to me before I left his room is that everything I wanted in life I would get. And I can't tell you all the things that were happening in my life at that point in time because we would be here for like another two hours. But I needed to hear those words. So before you leave this space, there's also something that I want to share with you. Is that the Christmas story promises to us that we get everything. We get everything that we need in a gift. I can't tell you that life is going to always be easy. I can't tell you that things are going to always come when you want them to come. But I can promise you that the one whose name is Emmanuel, a God who is with us, is a gift that is for the good of our lives. Might you know it and might you believe it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And will you pray with me? God, you are with us now. And you will be with us tomorrow and to the end of the age. 
And for the very gift of your life in the midst of our lives, we give you thanks and praise. Might we make room in our hearts for you, O oh God, this day? Trusting and believing in your goodness in the midst of our lives. That we might let the gift of your presence change our lives. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who is the living word. A God who is with us. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.